0: The Stoic Jew podcast content for the month of May has been made possible by Dan Horowitz, who has graciously taken up my experimental request for an accountability sponsorship in hopes that this will result in more Stoic Jew content. Hello, I'm Rabbi Matt Schneewice, and this is the Stoic Jew podcast, where we explore the relationship between Judaism and Stoicism. If you've been following this podcast lately, you may have noticed that I haven't published an episode in around two weeks. And the reason for that is the same reason as always. Podcasters block. And the type of podcasters block is also the same type as always, which is that it's not that I don't have ideas to uh, for episodes. It's that I have tons of ideas and tons of specific ideas, but that I've been putting too much pressure on myself to uh, to produce the perfect episode to embody these ideas, and that pressure has prevented me from even attempting to make uh, an episode. Uh, in this case, the pressure comes from two sources. The first is that I had wanted to make a Pesach episode, uh, like I did last year. And in fact, I I, <laughs> I was looking for the episode last year, and realized I didn't put Pesach in the title, so some might not know about it. I'll include it in the show notes. But anyway, I wanted to make an episode about the Stoic view of freedom versus the Jewish idea of freedom, Okay. And that's kind of a daunting task, and I, I thought about it a lot, and uh, and and came up with different ideas. But again, the pressure was uh, was was too much, and I let other projects take uh, take precedence. The other source of the pressure only came up last week when I reread Victor Frankel's book *Man's Search for Meaning*. And when I say reread, I mean the last time I read this was when I was in high school, before I really knew anything about judaism or stoicism so when i read this book i had lots of thoughts this time around and uh and you know i wanted to incorporate that into this pesach episode because the themes are very you know very uh they they overlap each other or they are synonymous you know the idea of true human freedom so these two pressures kind of stewed in my mind and i just Pushed it off and pushed it off and pushed it off, and now we are the day before Eref Pesach. And I feel like I have to just record and whatever happens happens. So let me tell you what I got from *Man Search for Meaning* this time around. Uh, I, I mean, I, it, obviously, it is a, it is an amazingly deep and rich book, and there's no way that I'm going to, to really paraphrase everything that I thought. But for for the purposes of this podcast, I could not help but notice. How many ideas of Stoicism were present in Viktor Frankl's words? Uh, for example, you know, Viktor Frankl coined this term logotherapy and this whole approach to psychotherapy. Logotherapy coming from the word logos, which translates to meaning, uh, and his whole therapy involves involves helping a person to cultivate their or to discover really the 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 meaning. That they uh, that their life revolves around, and then to use that to to navigate their way through life's uh, vicissitudes. So, in the section of part two entitled "The Essence of Existence," Frankl says the what he he identifies as the quote categorical imperative of logotherapy, and he he formulates it as follows. He says, "You must quote live as if you were living already for the second time." And as if you acted the first time as wrongly as you are about as you, I botched that. Let me start start that again. Live as if you were living already for the second time, and as if you acted the first time as wrongly as you are about to act now. Now, that's a little bit of a, a cumbersome thing to say, so let me tell you what I associated to, which was Marcus Aurelius in Meditation 756, where he says, Imagine you were now dead or had not lived before this moment. Now, view the rest of your life as a bonus and live it as nature directs. And I made an episode about that, which I'll link in the show notes. Uh, another uh, uh, parallel between Man's Search for Meaning and Stoicism is Frankel's statement, uh, and this is one of his main ideas, which is, quote, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of, human, of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, uh, to choose one's way. My own personal favorite version of that statement is actually not from Man's Search for Meaning, but is attributed to Viktor Frankl. And that quote says, Between stimulus and response lies a space. In that space lie our freedom and our power to choose a response in our response lies our growth and our happiness and that really is the essence of stoicism especially epictetus stoicism which which revolves around identifying what's in your control and what's not realizing that that almost everything that we consider to be ours is really not ours and the only thing that really truly is ours is our ability to choose and to to make the most of the of the circumstances that we've been given so um so you know i when i was reading this and thinking about these parallels then i even though intellectually these ideas are 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 shared by frankl and by the, Sto- the, the stoics i couldn't help but notice that there is a different quality added to these ideas when you read them in the context of man's search for meaning because victor frankl is not just talking about these things from an abstract theoretical perspective, he lived these ideas. In fact, these ideas emerged from his experience in the concentration camps, and I think that this is actually what makes Epictetus's Stoicism different from the other Stoics. You know, Seneca was a prominent figure in Rome. Uh, Marcus Aurelius was the emperor of Rome at at its height, and not to say that these that that they, that their ideas lacked any sort of reality. I mean, obviously, they, they, they live according to these ideas also, but certain aspects of their ideas and their teachings only Epictetus had, because Epictetus was a slave. He was born and raised a slave and was only given his freedom at a much later time in life. And, you know, there are, there are stories and legends about him. The, the most famous one is that he walked with a limp throughout his, uh, his whole life. And the story is that uh, his master, who often flew into rages, uh, was mad at him or was punishing him. And uh, started, ah, uh, 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 twisting his leg. And Epictetus, again, this is in the story version. Epictetus calmly said, "If you continue to twist my leg, then you'll break it." And he was saying this kind of, you know, to warn his master that you're going to, you're you're going to disable one of your uh, your your able-bodied servants, and sure enough the master continued twisting his leg and then broke it and epictetus said see i told you <laughs> and so so the uh, the the interesting thing about epictetus is that when he writes about oppression and slavery and torture then it's different you get a different sense or at least you you should get a different sense from it than you would from Seneca or Marcus Aurelius talking about the same topics, because Epictetus lived the life of a slave, whereas Seneca and Marcus Aurelius did not. Uh, and there's you know, there's another uh, example of this in Man's Search for Meaning. Frankel was a uh, a correspondent with Sigmund Freud before the war, and was a great admirer of his, even though he, he disagreed with many of his ideas. So the very end of the book, then, uh, uh, here I'll just read from the book itself. It says, uh, and this is Frankel writing, he says, Sigmund Freud once asserted Let one attempt to expose a number of the most diverse people uniformly to hunger. With the increase of the imperative urge of hunger, all individual differences will blur, and in their stead will appear the uniform expression of the one unstilled urge. End quote from Freud. Okay, so Frankel says, Thank heaven Sigmund Freud was spared knowing the concentration camps from the inside. His subjects lay on a couch designed in the plush style of Victorian culture, not in the filth of Auschwitz. There, the, quote, Individual differences did not blur, but on the contrary, people came became more different. People unmasked themselves, both the swine and the saints. And today, you need no longer hesitate to use the word saints. Okay, fine. It goes on to another point there, but his point is that Freud, like Marcus Aurelius and Seneca, was speculating and theorizing from the comfort of his his elevated position. And whereas Frankel and Epictetus really were were <laughs> were living these ideas or or discovering these ideas in the gritty reality of of being in the most oppressive of uh, states that the human being can imagine. So that's why, as much as I criticize Epictetus in this uh, this podcast, I do think that his words merit a different level of of uh, I won't call it scrutiny. I would say that, You know, taking, and again, I don't want to imply that Marcus Aurelius and Seneca shouldn't be taken seriously, but I I just, I just do think that there is, there's a difference between the ideas that are expressed by those who lived them fully under the most, under the harshest circumstances, and and the ideas of people who were were uh, arriving at them through speculation and philosophy. Now, let me transition from here into attempting to talk about Pesach. I think that one of the differences between, perhaps the key difference, in my opinion, at this point, between stoicism's view of freedom and Judaism's idea of freedom, has to do with the 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 context. What is this freedom for? And I've said this before, but I think you know, in, in all of my reading of Epictetus, he talks a lot about freedom and and making use of impressions and using your judgments to uh to assess what is within your control and what's not within your control and he he talks about freedom being the essence of of life man's essential value but he doesn't really talk about free about what you do with that freedom uh, there's no there's no clear idea i have from my reading of epictetus about what he thinks you should do with your life where what does give life meaning and turns out judaism has a term for this Uh, which is different than the term we use for freedom. You know, we, on Pesach, we say zman cherusenu, the time of our freedom. And the term we use is cherus. But there's another term called chofshi, chofshi, or chofesh. Uh, And I'm just going to read an excerpt here from Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs' essay, The Omer and the Politics of Torah. He says, that is what makes the Torah's approach to freedom so rich and subtle. There's a biblical word for negative freedom, namely chofesh, that is what a person receives when he or she is released from slavery. That's what he means by negative freedom, by the way, meaning removal of the negative. They are now, they now no longer have someone ordering them to do this or that. They have become their own masters. That, for the Torah, is a precondition of human dignity. As we saw in an earlier chapter, many institutions of Judaism, from Shabbat to the release of slaves and cancellation of debts in the seventh year, and the return of ancestral land in the 50th, are about this kind of freedom, about not being enslaved or indebted to someone else. So, the so that's really what epictetus's idea of freedom is as well is is freedom from the 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 negative from being enslaved to to false impressions and to other people uh you know to to to, uh being beholden to certain ideas about what is uh what is really yours etc but that is really not judaism judaism's idea of freedom judaism's idea of freedom in, in, in Judaism's conception of freedom, then that is a first step. That level of freedom is the first step of the removal of, of oppression and bondage. But true freedom really comes from living as a tzel melokim, living as a truth-seeking human being. And uh, and that is really what the entire Torah is geared towards. So I, I think it w- w- what emerges from this, as far as we're concerned for a Stoicism Pesach episode, is that I do think that a person cannot fully appreciate the the freedom, the true freedom that the Torah gives, unless they first acknowledge the slavery that they're in. Uh, and I think that the ideas of Stoicism are, are are instrumental to helping you identify that and to recognize how much we are enslaved by by illusions and falsehoods and fantasies and that I, th- that aspect of stoicism aligns very well with pesach however i think that that you can't stop there that you really need to uh, you know as we do in judaism to go from pesach to shavuos to go from focusing on what it means to be free and redeemed to the final stage which is the receiving of the torah and a life of service to hashem and i've talked about this before also in in previous critiques of of Epictetus, which is that—that that Epictetus views the pinnacle of human existence to be one where you are totally free. Judaism, though, does not. Judaism recognizes that free will is a uniquely human characteristic, but the the highest ideal. What do we call Moshe, Rabino? We call him Eved Hashem. He is a servant of Hashem. So, we are going from uh, we're liberating we're being liberated from a a, a slavery to to human uh, slavery to human oppression and to falsehood and to to fantasy but we are subordinating ourselves to the will of of the creator and experientially that is going to provide us with with happiness and fulfillment and meaning but if a person were to think that you could live a life of just Total freedom, not being subordinate to anything—that's something that Epictetus might really like, but Judaism would look down upon. In fact, the Rambam—I'm uh, possible—I've quoted this before—but the Rambam in Hilchos Evel, in the Laws of Mourning, Chapter One, Halacha Ten, is talking about how we don't mourn for people who cast off the yoke of mitzvos and uh, and reject reject Torah, and the the way he says it. The way he describes these people is he says, All of those who separate from the ways of the community. Uh, and these are the people who cast off the yoke of mitzvos from upon their necks. And they don't include themselves in the rest of Israel, in the doing of mitzvos and the honoring of the festivals. And in sitting in the shuls and the, the houses of study. And then he says like this, Har Laatman. But rather they are free unto themselves, kishar like the rest of the nations. Same thing with the heretics and the apostates and the informers. So he describes these people as free unto themselves. Laatman. We hold that that being a benchorin, being free, is uh is is a fundamental first step. That's why we celebrate freedom with Pesach, but not free unto yourselves, free so that you can serve Hashem, so you can use your own free will to serve Hashem. And that's again the uh, the uh, at some point in a person's development then then they hear this for the first time that the line that Moshe says to Paro is never let my people go." The line is let my people go that they may serve Hashem or that they may bring offerings to him in the wilderness, etc. Every single instance of Moshe asking to uh, Paro to free the people is not just freedom per se, it's so they could be free to serve Hashem. And so I think that this, you know, I guess maybe we'll end off with just saying that I think this concept needs to uh, to uh, be thought of. Uh, we need to think into this concept and think about its implications because I think, especially those of us who live in America, do have this ideal of freedom unto ourselves, freedom to pursue our own uh, our own happiness and and freedom from uh, from any form of oppression and uh, attempts to to dictate how we should live but i don't think that's a jewish idea i think that's i think that fits into judaism in the sense that it's a means to an end but the end is not total freedom and i think we need to contemplate what that means and what its implications are okay well that's the episode. <laughs> uh, I'm sure there's much more to say, but I, uh, like I said, I wanted to just get something out there before Pesach. So that is it for today's episode. If you've gained from what you've learned here today, please consider contributing to my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Rabbi Alternatively, if you would like to make a direct contribution to the Rabbi Schneeweiss Torah Content Fund, my Venmo is at, matt, at Matt-Shnéweiss, and my Zelle and PayPal are matt Gmail.com even a small contribution goes a long way to covering the costs of my podcast and will provide me with the financial freedom to produce even more tor content for you if you would like to sponsor a days or a weeks worth of content or if you're interested in enlisting my services as a teacher or tutor you can reach me at Matt, at ravashnameh@gmail.com uh, and i'll mention that you know thank god we've been sponsored uh, every week up until this week uh and uh you know i'm i'm Talking about specific sponsorships, obviously the my patrons on Patreon have really been sponsoring this thing the whole time. But I am looking for sponsors for after Pesach. So if you would, if you have a special occasion uh, uh, in mind or a certain cause, uh, and you would like to contribute, then your contributions will be much appreciated. Thank you to my listeners for listening. Thank you to my readers for reading, and thank you to my supporters for making my efforts. To phew, let's try that again. Thank you to my supporters for supporting my efforts to make tour ideas available and accessible to everyone. And everyone, have a chag kasher vesame